Good morning, Bridge. Bear with me a moment. They sang that song at my son's funeral two months ago. Andrew had this amazing way of cutting through to the bottom line. And he used to say, it is well with my soul. Everything else is stupid. I mean, if it's well with your soul, what else matters? And if it isn't well with your soul, then what else matters? I hope you get that. I hope it sinks into your spirit. Kicking off a new series today that I've just been really excited about, waiting for, looking forward to, praying about, fasting over. So many of us on the team have been. And I'm excited to bring you into the loop of this series that we're calling The Ripple Effect. And we're just simply talking about the reality that, that our lives creates a ripple effect. There is this thing that comes from our lives that goes way beyond us, that goes out into eternity. And we won't even know this side of eternity, all the effect of it. But th that's a powerful thought that helps us and motivates us and encourages us. But at the same time, it forces us to stop and think, what am I doing with my one and only life? And does it eternally matter? I was driving down Wayne Boulevard the other day, and I pulled up to a, to a traffic light, and, and there was a pet store delivery truck beside me. And it was kind of weird, because we pulled up to the red light, and the driver jumped out of the truck and ran around the truck, banging on the side of the truck. And he ran around until the light turned green, he jumped in the truck, and he drove to the next intersection. We got to the next red light, and I pulled up beside him again, and same thing. He jumped out of the truck, he ran around, beating on the side of the truck, and then the light turned green, he jumped in the truck and drove with the third light. I'm going crazy. So I rolled my window down, and I said, dude, what in the world are you doing? He said, don't stop me. I, this is a two-ton load truck, and I've got four-ton of canaries in here. i got to keep them flying. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> but it's a pretty good illustration of our lives these days, isn't it? Anybody feeling like you're keeping four-ton of canary flying in a two-ton load limit? It's the reality of our lives these days. Because we do live in incredibly busy times, and we all have to stop once in a while and ask those kind of powerful questions. What is it that I'm doing? Because hear me, guys, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. There's a lot more I want you to hear, but I want you to hear this. If you don't determine what your priorities in life is, there are plenty of pressures that would be glad to set them for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to evaluate, we're going to take an honest look at priorities God's way through this series. We're going to be looking at how did God intend that we set our priorities so that, in fact, we can accomplish all the things that he put us on this planet to do and, and then create that ripple effect that's intentional that brings glory to God. I've been on this journey for some time myself. I want to take you on this journey, and I pray that it will be a powerful journey for you, for your family for our church, and quite frankly, for the community and for the world around us. Now, let me tell you right up front, the first thing that I learned about priorities when I got into this study a few years ago is that the, the most important thing in life, the most important thing in life, let me say it one more time so you hear me, the most important thing in life is relationships. Hello? First is our vertical relationship with God, and then is our horizontal relationships with one another. That's the only thing you're taking into eternity is your character and your relationships. That, that's it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, familiar passage to most of us. Let's read it together right quick just to kind of get our thoughts going. If I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be what? Nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained. What's he saying? He's saying that knowledge is meaningless. Faith is meaningless. Even sacrifice is a waste unless it comes out of this love for God and one another. It all flows back to relationships. So whatever your priorities in life are, if they are defined by God, they're going to begin and end in relationships. So if you're thinking, as you start thinking about priorities, if, you, if somewhere in the midst of defining your own personal priorities, you're thinking about stuff, if you're thinking about things, let me just tell you now, you're wrong. Things are to be used, people are to be loved, not the other way around. God never intended that we use people to get things. He intended us to use things to bless people. Whew, you may want to tweet that. So, whatever your priorities are, they're going to flow back to relationships. All I want to do today is I want to help you to think about those priorities from God's perspective and a relational kind of perspective. I just want to, I want to introduce them to you. We're going to unpack them week by week throughout this series in a lot more detail and give you some real practical steps on how to do it. Uh, but I want to introduce them to you today. And then I want to teach you four simple truths about what we call the ripple effect. I want to talk to you and teach you the four simple truths about relation, about priorities so that you can look at them. So let's, let's get started. Let's jump into it. We've got a little chart, got a circle chart. These are the priorities that God has defined for us. Priority number one is, somebody say, Jesus. Come on, I want to hear it a little bit more from the wings. I knew you could do it. The first priority is Jesus. The second priority is family. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Even within the context of family, there are priorities that have to be defined in order to do it God's way. The third circle then, the third priority is our church family, our spiritual family. Quite often our spiritual family can sometimes get closer than our biological family because of shared values and shared journeys and that sort of thing. When our uh, biological family and our spiritual family combine, whoa, that's powerful stuff, right? That's powerful stuff. And then the fourth circle, the fourth priority is the community where we live. God never intended that we get saved and hunkered down and hide till Jesus gets here. I grew up singing hymn, Hold the fort for I am coming, Jesus back and still. Any of you remember that old hymn? I hate that hymn. <laughs> God never intended that we, get, that we get in a fort and hide from the world. He said, occupy till I come. Come on. Christianity is not a, a hiding place. It's a cleft in the rock we used to sing about. It's a, it's a rocket ship that launches into the world to make a difference in this world. So we're going to unpack those a little bit. 
today and then throughout the series. But before we do, as I said, I really want to teach you the ripple effect. I want to teach you the four basic truths about ripple effects and about setting priorities because I I hope, my prayer is that it will motivate you to get really serious throughout this series and beyond in setting your priorities God's way. You ready to get into it? Truth number one simply is this, priorities must flow from the inside out. Say it with me, priorities must flow from the inside out out. We, I think we got an image of that, a video we can see. Yeah, that's just the way it happens. You make a splash, and then what happens from that splash? Ripple effect begin to happen. Things begin to flow from the inside out. If you want to make a bigger splash in the outer rings of the ripple, how do you do it? You make a bigger splash in the middle. The bigger the splash in the middle, the bigger the ripple effect is as you go. That's why God warned us, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. He's talking about who you are. He's talking about how you feel about life. He's talking about what you think. He didn't say above all else, guard your actions. Did he? What did he say? He said, guard your heart, guard your thoughts. Some translations say, guard what's going on inside because what's going on inside eventually flows outside because it always starts from the inside to the out. And once it gets out and there are actions, what did we say last week? Actions always have consequences. Once you start an action, once you make a decision, you're on a path now that's going to take you on a journey. So simply put, whatever you center your life in, whatever you center your life in determines the ripple effect that your life is going to have. Does that make sense? I want you to get that. The mistake we all make sometimes is that we get preoccupied with some of the outer circles because they seem to be of higher priority for the moment, and the result is that we don't get the ripple effect that we want, and we wonder, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Maybe it's because you're not getting the ripple effect down in the way you set your priorities in life. Let's keep going. Truth number two. When the weaker the inside circles are, the lower the potential for all of the circles outside of it. Say that again. The weaker the inside circles are, the lower the potential for all of the circles outside of it. We've already unpacked that. We've already mentioned that. But let's unpack it. Let's go back to our little video thing. You see, the the, the weaker that splash is, the weaker the ripples are going to be. Make sense? And so regardless of how much I go back to the, the, what were the circles, Jesus, family, church family, community. And no, regardless how much effort you put into your family, regardless of how much effort you put into your church or your community, if you aren't putting priority on your relationship with Jesus, hello, you're never going to get where it is that you're trying to get. Because it goes from inside out, and the weaker the inside circle is, the less potential you have for the outside circles. And that's why I've seen so many times when people get all wrapped around the axle because it's not working here and here and here because they stop making a splash in the center. Is this resonating? And so it goes. Since the inside circle serves as a base for every circle outside of it, it's kind of silly to allow the inside circle to be inadequate or to get inadequate focus because ultimately we pay for it in all the other circles. Ready for truth three? 
Truth three is just kind of the opposite look at truth two. When an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, chaos ensues. Let's go back to our little video. If you make a splash in the middle and it creates this ripple effect, but then you start saying, you know what, this outer ring over here is struggling, so let me make a splash over there. What happens now? Thank you, thank you, Pastor. So what happens then? Now you're making a splash here and a ripple effect, and you're making a splash here and a ripple effect. Guess what just happened? The ripples are starting to collide with each other. Bear with me. Sorry about that. You see what's happening? Now we've, we don't have bigger ripples. We have chaos. Anybody living in chaos these days? Sit real still so nobody will know. Right? Now, here's the goodness. I, I was in the grocery store this past week. and went up uh, to Chesapeake to, to visit Kim and the grandkids. Those of you who don't know, Kim moved in with Emily to take care of the grandkids. <laughs> She'll be there till February when Emily's parents come, and we're kind of doing three months on and three months off. And so I went up Friday and, and spent some time with them. And I was in the grocery store with Kim on Friday afternoon. I ran into a man who was part of the church that we led in Chesapeake. And he said, oh, hey, Pastor Jim, it's good to see you. I, I really feel bad. It's, it's been several months since I've been in church. But my mother-in-law needs, and my, this is what we've been doing for my mother-in-law, and I haven't been in church. <laughs> what he doesn't know is that I left community church four years ago, and he doesn't even know I'm gone. And I'm standing there listening to him, and I said, so how's your life overall? He said, well, it's a mess. i got to be honest, it's a mess. I said, well, you may want to go online <laughs> and watch the series I'm starting at the bridge tomorrow, because I think there may be some applications, because if you try to make splashes in the outer circles and neglect the inner circles, all you get is chaos. Is this resonating? Truth number four, when order is maintained, life finally becomes fulfilling. And so many of us, we live our lives and they are full, but they are not fulfilling. And we wonder why. Wait a minute. Whoa, no, no, no. Jesus said, I came to give life and that life in all its fullness. And I'm following Jesus and I go to church and I put some money in the offering plate, and I don't understand why I'm not getting the fulfilling life. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's because you got your priorities out of whack. Or maybe it's because you're, you're trying to order your priorities by jumping back and forth between them. Hear me, guys. If you use a plant analogy for what I'm talking about, no amount of hard work in the fall will make up for the lack of planting and cultivating and fertilizing in the spring. If you didn't plant seeds in the spring, you ain't going to get a harvest in the fall. Can I get a witness in the house? But when you do the right things in the right order, you get a bumper crop. Good things begin to come. So let's recap them right quick before we get back into the actual priorities. Truth number one is what? Priorities must flow from the inside out. Truth number two, the weaker the inside circles are, the lower the potential for all the circles out of it. So if you want a bigger uh, impact in the third or fourth ring, how do you get it? By making a bigger splash in the center, Right? Truth number three, when an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, chaos ensues. If you drop a rock in the third ring trying to increase the effectiveness in the third ring, you start creating chaos among all the rings, and it never works together. 
Got it? Truth number four, when God's order is maintained, life becomes the fulfilling thing that God promised it to be. And I didn't say that, that from that point forward, life was a bed of roses. I didn't say all the circumstances of life would, would uh, just come together for you. The reality is, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We still live in a sin-cursed world. This is earth. It's not heaven. We aren't there yet. Those are the realities that we have to deal with, but you don't have to deal with them alone. God will walk through them with you and somehow bring good out of them because you've kept your priorities in order in the process. That's the setup. That's the foundation for this whole series. I'll remind you every week over the next four weeks as we talk about these priorities, as we unpack them week by week by week. But that said, let's go back to our four-circle chart. What is the inner circle? Hello, are you out there? The inner circle is Jesus. The second circle is family. The third circle is church. The fourth circle is community. And so if you're going to get a, a, a real effect in your family, if you're going to make a difference uh, in the church, if you're going to really change the world, how do you do it? By making a big splash in the Jesus circle, right? That's why that gives you a whole different context, gives you a whole under, another understanding of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I give it to you in the International Children's Bible so we could all understand it. It's written on a third grade level. See if we can get it. One, two, three. Let's read it. One together. All together. Okay. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. Hear me, guys. If God is first, everything else falls into place. But, 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 Pastor, what about, God knows you need that. But, but, but what, about, what about, God knows you need that. And who do you think has the resources to help you with that, you or him? Obviously, God does, but you have to do it his way. Hear me, guys. It, without Jesus at the center, you're going to fall short in every other area every time because he's the source. He's the resource. Holy Spirit is the teacher, the comforter, the guide that helps us to deal with all the stuff that life throws at us. Now, next week, we're going to talk about that phrase, wanting God's kingdom and doing what he wants most. We're going to unpack that in real practical terms. And so I want you to make sure that you come next week so that you understand that's not just an idea, it is a practice. We're going to unpack that practice next Sunday. But for now, understand that, that making Jesus first, putting the kingdom of God first, starts by establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And from there, it involves frequent times involved times with Jesus. Like any other relationship, if you want it to be close, you've got to spend time together. And every married person in the room said, Amen. That's just reality. If you meet somebody, you say, I think this person could be a friend. Well, how does, that, how does it go from superficial, hey, how are you, to friendship? You spend time together. That's how you do it. And that's why I'm asking all of us to begin a 21-day fast. We've been talking a little bit about it last week. And on Facebook, the snow kind of pushed us all back a week. So I apologize for starting today. But let me tell you why we're going to go ahead and start today. Because if you don't start today, you won't be finished in time for Super Bowl wings. So we're going to go ahead and start today, January 14th. And I'm going to ask you 
to join me in a fast over the next 21 days. I actually wrote an article. We put it on the, on the app. It's on the website, A Biblical View of Fasting. I want you to understand what fasting is all about. I want you to get that article and read through it. For now, let me just tell you, fasting is not about manipulating God. Fasting is not about getting God to do something you want him to do. I have sacrificed this food, therefore you have to do something for me. Fasting is about increasing our intimacy with him. It's about giving something up of value in order to receive something of greater value. Now don't misunderstand me, blessings come from fasting. God loves to give good gifts to his children, but fasting at the end of the day is all about uh, closeness with God uh, and, and intimacy with God and, and ultimately hearing from God. Now, let me tell you, I don't have time to unpack this in detail, but just to kind of get you going on this 21-day fast, uh, there have been several times uh, through my years in ministry that I've made it a point to go on extended fast. Uh, a couple of times that I can think of, don't have time to tell you all the stories, but I'll tell you one right quick. I went on a three-day fast one time when we were in the Philippines, and uh, and all of the conventional wisdom, we were going to open a Bible college to train pastors in order to plant churches, in order to reach the kingdom for Christ. And so uh, all of the conventional wisdom was to start the school in, in a town called Baguio City, which was about a 300,000 person population town. And there had been two former attempts to start the Bible college, previous missionaries. Uh, in Baguio City, and they failed both times because the city was so incredibly expensive. Just land and buildings and, and, uh, and cost of living and everything else was so incredibly expensive in Baguio, they just ultimately ran out of money and clothes. And so I'm faced with the reality as a new missionary, God, we need this Bible college, we need to train these pastors, we need to plant these churches, but I have X amount of resources. What are we going to do? And I found myself just, I said, well, I'm just going to go on a fast. And I got some people to go with me. And we did a three-day fast. We did a three-day total fast in that case, just, uh, just water during that three-day period. And, and I'll tell you now, if you've never done that before, uh, the first day is one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life. And the second day is harder. And then... <laughs> Then by the third day, something happens. By the third day, you find yourself going, you know, I'm not even hungry. Uh, I think I could keep going with this. And you know what's happened? On a physiological level, what's happened is that you've purged a lot of the toxins and the junk that was in your body. So there's a physiological benefit to fasting. But on a spiritual level, you've come in tune where you can finally hear the voice of God. And on that particular occasion, on that third day, God spoke into my spirit, you need to start the school in a town called Kandon Ilokosua, and I'm going to provide you a piece of property. I told people what I felt like the Lord had said, and i got to be honest with you, my leaders, a lot of my colleagues were saying that's stupid. Baguio is the educational center of, Luz of northern Luzon. You've you, you got to be uh, in Baguio City. So when I just feel like the Lord's told me to go to Kandon Ilokosua. And so we went to Kandon. And, and sure enough, there's a piece of property just outside of town that was available at the price, the money that we had, and we bought that piece of property, and we began the Bible college. And again, people said, that's crazy. You went, to, you went north, you went up the coast, you, you went to a smaller town, you, you bought land outside of town. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? No, I've just, I've, 
I believe I've heard from God, and this is what we're supposed to do. So we planted the Bible college. Well, seven years later, after we left the Philippines, it operated for, for the eight years that we were there. Seven years after we left, we came back for a visit, and I was blown away because the town had grown out and surrounded the Bible college. The city had bought the land next to the Bible college for City Hall, and on the other side, they bought the land for the high school, and so not only had the town exploded, but the center of town had now come around Heritage uh, Harvester's Bible College, and we're training students for the ministry with a lighthouse for the gospel right in the center of this town that grew from 100,000 to 250,000 in those years. And God knew that was coming. So, when you talk to me about a three-day fast, I go, that's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Because out of that comes this intimacy with God and quite often a clarity that helps you to hear direction from God. Now, technically, again, you can read that article, technically fasting means to abstain from food, but we're not legalists around here. So if there's something else of value that you want to set aside, I'm not saying you should do a complete fast for 21 days. Maybe it's fast one food. Maybe it's fast one meal. Maybe it's, maybe it's fast something else. But set aside something of value. I'm asking you to join me. You that are online, wherever you are in the world, I'm asking you to join me for the next 21 days and let's set aside something of value and dedicate that time to being in the Word and being in prayer and let's see what God will do among us. Anybody with me? You ready to join me in that 21-day fast? Come on, let's do this together. And again, I'll say, by the way, if you say, well, I, you know, almost wait till tomorrow to start, well, then the Super Bowl is 21 days away. So you just want to keep that in mind. So what's the inner circle? What's the inner circle? It's Jesus. We'll talk about that in great practical detail next week. What's the next circle just outside of the center? It's family. So the most important relationship we have is with Jesus. The second most important relationship, the most important human relationship is with family. But even within family, there are priority circles. That's how God set it up. Book of Genesis, chapter 2, the Bible talks about Adam being established and his job was to care for the garden and start naming the animals. Eventually, God came and said, you know, you're supposed to have a helpmate. You need somebody. It's not good for you to be alone. So he took a rib and he made Eve and, and they connected in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, one body. And I realize some of you are not married. And so, obviously, that can't be your first priority. Nobody's saying you have to be married to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you are married, then the most important human relationship you have is your spouse. Is that always true? No, it's not. But that's how God set it up. That's how God defined it. He intended that that, uh, that, that be true. So anybody agree with me that marriage is under attack these days? Anybody agree with that one? Yeah, when, when you're living in a day that 50% that, that of marriages, some statistics say 50% of marriages end in divorce, but then you face the reality that 79% of divorced people get married again, which tells me that they still value it. Um, it, it, it's tough, but it doesn't change the fact that it was God's idea. So remember the truths about the ripple effect. You can try to have a healthy marriage without Christ at the center, 
but it's going to be a struggle. Hear me, guys. It is almost impossible to be gracious. Anybody ever have to be gracious with your spouse? Don't throw an elbow, but just nod your heads. Anybody ever have to forgive your spouse? Come on. Bunch of liars in the house. Come on. Or you're just scared, right? You're just scared. That's all. Just scared. That's right. It's hard to be gracious when you haven't received grace. It's hard to be forgiving when you haven't been forgiven. But when you put Christ at the center and you receive his grace and his forgiveness with a commitment to give that grace and give that forgiveness away, then God empowers you to do what you're called upon to do in this thing called marriage. But i got to be honest, I don't give marriage much chance without Christ at the center these days with the level of attack that it's under. So if things are not quite right with your marriage, what's the first question to ask? What's wrong with my spouse? Well, maybe, but that's not the first issue. The first question is, is my inner circle, come on, is my inner circle where it ought to be? Am I making a big enough splash in my inner circle, my relationship with Jesus? Second question then is, is one of my outer circles taking priority over my inner circle and creating chaos? Is this getting practical now? If I'm so focused on an outer circle to the neglect of the inner circle, then I end up with a mess. From there, we begin, we'll unpack that in a lot more detail in a couple of weeks. Uh, from there, we started thinking about other family relationships. Genesis 1.22, he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Make babies, all right? Make lots of babies if you're married. Make lots of <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 now a word to you parents don't keep on scolding and nagging your children making them angry and resentful rather bring them up in the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice how many of you agree with me that parenting is not for wimps <laughs> yeah from the time dad is laying on his back holding the baby up and the baby throws up in his mouth to the time we put them on the bus for the first time and send them off to school, to the time those young adults make their way out into the world and you hope against hope, pray against prayer, that you did enough to prepare them for what the world's going to throw at them. Parenting is an inexact, scary, risky proposition. Can I get an amen? I mean, let's be honest, what children see as safe and fun and important, we see as, ah, right? What children consider to be crucial to their social lives, we only see potential disaster in their whole lives. So in order to be effective at all as parents, you got to get your priorities right. Again, we're going to talk more about that on January 28th. Make a uh, note in your calendar. Be here. If you know some married couples that are struggling, some parents that are struggling, great day to bring them to be here. For now, what's your number one priority? It's Jesus. Your number two priority is family, but that in order of marriage first and then kids, and then we can start talking about extended family. If you get those out of order, what do they say happens when you get the circles out of order? Chaos. Chaos. So hear me, guys. 
if a husband or a wife becomes preoccupied with the kids, the marriage is not the only thing that suffers, the kids do. Ultimately, the best thing you can do for your kids is show them a healthy marriage. So when our boys were growing up, we, would, we, would, we went on date nights. And there were times we took the boys out to restaurants and movies or whatever else. But there were times when we said, it's date night for us. And in the early days, the boys, we want to go. And I would say, do you know how blessed you are to have a mom and dad that love each other? And are committed to our relationship? Ultimately, you're the one that gets blessed by that. In fact, they finally got it. We're sitting, I still remember, night we were sitting at the dinner table. Zach, who's our youngest, who may actually be in service uh, second service this morning. He lives here in Goldsboro. Uh, he said, uh, he said uh, to us, you, Mom, Dad, have you been on a date night lately? You seem a little tense. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We need to get back to focus. Why? Because ultimately, if you neglect your marriage for the sake of the kids, you're not helping the kids. When you focus on your marriage and together focus on your kids, good stuff comes. Because why? Because you got your priorities in order. The inner circle is Jesus. The outer circle is family. And even family is within uh, priorities. And so the guy that I met in the grocery store this past weekend, focusing on extended family to the neglect of the inner circle and his own marriage and his own kids, and he's wondering why his life's in chaos. Third circle, ready for the third circle? I see the clock, I promise I do. Third circle is your church family. Ephesians 2.19, I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases it. You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now, uh, Paul is talking specifically to Gentiles in this passage, but it's still true for all of us. God never intended for us to do this thing called Christianity alone. In fact, the word church in the Bible is ekklesia in the original Greek, which literally means the assembly, the called out ones. It, it's, it's about the people that come down. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are all parts of the one body of Christ. Ephesians 2 describes us as being built together to become a dwelling place where the Holy Spirit dwells. I don't know if you get that or not, but think about that for a minute. We, who are all part of the one body of Christ, are built together to form a dwelling place where the Holy Spirit dwells. That suggests to me that it's not just about you being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about us being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about us being together and connecting with one another and, and loving on one another and encouraging one another. 57 commands in the New Testament, you can't obey alone, love one another, honor one another, greet one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, forgive one another. All those one another's are, uh, can't be done alone. So God intended that we be together. Ephesians 3.10 says this, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known, even in terms of knowing truth for your life and understanding how to set your priorities. Where do you learn that? God intended that that come through the church. Those of you that are just getting used to my 
preaching style and my teaching style and the way I go about things, I, I hope you understand that there, there, there is a method to my madness. I'm trying to teach you Bible. I'm trying to teach you theology. But at the end of the day, I, I've come to realize there's an awful lot of stuff that's just normal, practical life stuff that nobody's teaching these days. You, you don't get it in schools, and you don't get it in local clubs, and quite often you get Bible stories in church, but you don't get the application of what it actually means to live your life that way. And the result is we gave our lives to Jesus, and we just hunker down till heaven comes because we know this can't be it. And I'm here to tell you this is not complete, but God came to give us a fulfilling life. February 4th, put it on your calendar, February 4th. The leadership team and I have spent the last several months just seeking God for the vision for the next season in the life of our church. I told you two or three months ago that we brought about 100 of our leaders together last fall, and, and uh, all of our leaders couldn't come, but all that were available came, and we cast that vision of where we're going as a church family, and so we see unity in the staff, we see unity among our elders, we see unity in, the, in those key leaders in the church, and I'm going to be bringing it to you on February 4th, uh, 4th this vision of where I see God taking us as a church, and I'm telling you now, I'm dedicating the rest of my healthy life to helping us get there, because I believe God's going to do something amazing in the bridge. Amen. I think our church is moving from a church to a movement that's needed in the nation and in the nations. I hope you'll be a part of that on February 4th. The fourth circle then in our circle is the community. That's what I'm talking about. God never intended it for us to get saved and hide, all right, to hunker down. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Here's how Paul put it to Pastor Titus, Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind the believers to do these things, to be under the authority of rulers and government leaders, to obey them and be ready to do good, to speak no evil about anyone, to live in peace with all, to be gentle and polite to all people. What's he talking about? First of all, he's talking about being good citizens, all right? He's, not, he's talking about not being divisive. He's talking about not being mean-spirited. He's talking about not being a hater. He's talking about not going on Facebook and jumping into the hate threads that are so typical to Facebook. Please, if you're part of the bridge, don't go down that road. If you want to have a private conversation with somebody, have at it. But don't say the bridge believes. Don't say, hey, I'm part of the bridge and here's what we think. What we think is that God loves the world, that he gave his son for the whole world. That's what we think. So live at peace, be gentle and polite to all people. People who have their priorities, here's what I'm saying, people who have their priorities right are model citizens, but not just temporal citizens, eternal citizens, because we're not really citizens here. We're just passing through. Heaven is our home. And so why did God leave us here? We'll unpack that on the second Sunday in February. Why did God leave us here? 1 Peter 3.15 gives us a glimpse into it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. Stop. Why would anyone ask? Why would anyone ask? Because Hebrews 3.1 and 2, you've been ready to do good, speaking no evil about anyone, living at peace with all, being gentle and polite. And eventually, somebody says, what's the deal with you? Boy, you're just different from other people. And when that question comes, what do you do? What does it say? Give the reason for the hope that you have. 
do this even. In gentleness and respect, what's the reason for the hope that you have? Why do you have hope against hope that life is going to be fulfilling? Because you put Jesus first. Because you got your inner circle with a really big splash. And you are not surprised because you got that inner circle right. And then you've begun to bring those principles and values and that love into your family. First your marriage, then your kids, then your extended family. And then you brought it into the church. And together as a family you serve and, and work and help other people. And you accomplish great things for the kingdom. And then out in the community people begin to say, who is, what is, dude, you're different. And you're ready just simply to give them an answer. His name is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, we'll unpack it, but let me tell you that when you get this right, when you understand the ripple effect and you commit to it, people will come to you and say, what's the deal with you? I promise you. I didn't read that from a book. I'll tell you some stories. Again, we know we're getting it right out there in the community, when we're, being, when we're being true to God's Word and our influence is growing at the same time. Those two things feel like they're in conflict. They are not. When you're getting it right, you are true to God's Word and your influence is growing in the community. The bridge does not exist for itself. We, we're not here trying to build a church, grow a church. We're here to build the kingdom of God until Jesus Yes, we should be involved in social concerns. We should be involved in all kinds of things that are going on around us. But if we become preoccupied by them and they become the end game and that's all we care about, what did we just do? We just neglected the inner circles and diminished our impact in the outer circle because of it. The better we do at the inner circle and we more we let that influence how we do family, how we do church, how we do community, the more effective we are in family, church, and community. But you've got to get it right. Simply put, the answer to America's woes is not who is in the White House, it's who's in charge of your house. That's the answer. So I've got to close. Man, I just saw the clock. Sorry, I've got to close. You can tell I'm excited about this topic. I hope you get this. Truth number one is what? Priorities flow from the inside out. Truth number two is anytime an inside circle is weak, the potential for all other circles outside of it is limited. Truth number three, when an outside circle takes priority over an inside circle, what happens? Chaos ensues. Truth number four, when order is maintained, when you do life by God's priority, life is finally fulfilling. And the priorities are Jesus first, family next, church next, community next. I got to close. I've taught this in several different places around the world over the years. And inevitably, the response that some have to it, either long-term Christians or brand-new Christians or people that are not even sure they're followers of Christ. It resonates. It makes sense. It seems logical. It makes, oh yeah, that, that I mean, you go on a diet, they'll tell you to, to get the inside right, not just the outside, right? Otherwise, you'll lose the weight and you'll just regain it because you've got to get the inside right. And we all understand those truths. But the second thing that happens is we start feeling guilty that we didn't get that before. And I'm here to tell you God doesn't care 
God does not care how far you've come on this journey. He only cares about the direction of your feet from this point forward. You're only responsible for the truth that you have, and now you have it. What are you going to do? In World War II, uh, the Allied forces had a very definite strategy in the Pacific Islands. Japan had taken control of most of the Pacific Islands, and we went in island by island to take it out. And the way they did it is they would bomb, uh, drop bombs and shoot artillery into that island until they softened up the resistance. Some of you right now, where you are in this stage, is, is the Holy Spirit is softening your pride. Come on. He's getting you to deal with the guilt and the fear and the worry. If I haven't been getting this right, that's God saying, let me break that junk up. Then the Marines would come and establish a beachhead, maybe only 20 yards deep, 200 yards wide, but they'd establish a presence on the island. Now, here's what I need you to hear. Every time the Allied forces established a beachhead on an island, they eventually took that island. Every time. Once there were still battles to fight, there were still things to do, but every time they established a beachhead, it was almost a done deal that they were going to take the island because they did every time. All I'm saying to you in this first message of this series, it's let's establish a beachhead in our lives. Not suggesting you're going to get it all right now that you know. Let's establish a beachhead. And that beachhead is simply this. I will learn how and commit to put Jesus first. And then I'm going to start looking at family. And then I'm going to start looking at church. And then I'm going to start looking at the community. Can you pray that prayer with me? Is that worthy of praying together? Let's pray that prayer together. Father, we all want the fulfilling life that your son Jesus came promising. We all know the rest of that passage is that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy that fulfilling life, but he's a liar and a loser. He has no authority in our lives once we commit our lives to you. So in the quietness of this moment, I'm asking you simply, Lord, to speak to every one of our hearts, soften whatever part of our hearts that has been resistant to doing life your way, whether it's pride or guilt or whatever it is. Soften it up and hear our prayer. You ready to pray, guys? Pray silently, pray aloud, pray in your own words. I don't care, but, but pray with me. Jesus, I want a relationship with you that defines every other relationship in my life. Forgive me for getting my priorities out of whack. I want to do life your way. I want to establish your kingdom in my heart. And then I want to establish it in my family, in our church, and in the community where you planted me. Help me. Give me the quiet confidence 
that if I'll establish that beachhead, you will win the victory over every battle I face in the journey. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in the lives and the families and the marriages in our church. We commit it all to you. Be glorified in who we are and who we're becoming, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today and it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that, I have my authority of God's word, the authority to say to you, you get a fresh start. What's happened before is irrelevant. What happens from this point forward is what really matters. And I'm going to ask you to let me know. I'm going to ask you to text to me just the word new life, all one word, to 5455498. Let me know so I can pray for you this week, okay? Would you stand with me? Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together at this place. I pray that you'd send us out having committed to your priorities and beginning already to see the fulfilling life that comes from it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. First-time guests, stop by the VIP table. Thanks for coming, guys. Be blessed. The altars are open. You want to pray with somebody this morning, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday.